welcome to the How to HR podcast. I'm your host, Shona, founder and director of Lilac HR, where we help equestrian and country businesses to create a high-performing and engaged workforce so that you can build the business of your dreams without the drama. My guest today is Nikki Elmer, a clinical hypnotherapist and highly experienced anxiety and pain management specialist. Nikki helps her clients to positively transform their life, well-being and happiness so that they can create the happy and peaceful lives they deserve. Nikki doesn't just treat symptoms or medical labels, her comprehensive, tailored-to-you hypnotherapy treatment program gets to the root cause of your issues quickly. By working together, Nikki will help you to implement powerful and effective strategies that retrain your subconscious mind and your brain for a happier and brighter future. Nikki has helped hundreds of clients overcome the barriers holding them back in life, and I'm sure she'd be happy to help you too. Enjoy this episode, and if you would like to get in touch with Nikki, her contact details are in the show notes. Cool, so I am joined today by Nikki from Nikki Elmer Hypnotherapy, and we're sat in your beautiful cabin with the sun shining. How are you doing, Nikki? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to join. I'm so excited. I know, I'm super excited. We've done so many of your Facebook Lives together and a couple of videos and stuff. It's nice to actually get together and do a podcast episode. It's nice to meet each other. I know. We've been talking for so long on, on Zoom and on Facebook and on... It's, <laughs> it's funny, the first time we've it? actually met. So. It's so weird. So, do you want to just start off by telling everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, I am Nikki, as you said. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist, so... Basically, I specialise in working with people who have anxiety disorders, so things like OCD, um, general anxiety, health anxiety, that sort of stuff. And I work with people with pain disorders, so everything from fibromyalgia to IBS is sort of my main thing. But I kind of accidentally fell into smoking as well, <laughs> because I, um, you help one smoker and they tell everybody, so I, I often do smoking sessions as well, but pretty much anything anybody wants me to do. That's fantastic. And tell us a bit more about hypnotherapy. How does that work? Is because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of I don't know myths I suppose about swinging watches and yeah. I don't own a pocket watch, just <laughs> <laughs> so you know. And I don't make people cluck like chickens or any of that other nonsense. <laughs> I wish I could control people's minds because trust me, my husband's life would be very different. <laughs> I'd have coffee on demand all day and wine at night. Love it. Great. Um. Hypnosis is just a focused concentration, really. So everybody goes into hypnosis every day. You probably go into hypnosis every time you're on your horse. So when you're, you know, when you're riding along and you're concentrating and you're not really aware of what's going on around you, that's just hypnosis. So when we're, you know, when you're driving your car and you, you suddenly think, oh, I don't remember this journey. That's because you've gone into hypnosis. Or when you're watching a, a movie, you almost you have to suspend your disbelief, don't you? Because otherwise, you spend the whole movie going. Well, that's not real. Well, that's not real. Well, that's not real, don't you? But we suspend our disbelief and we get engrossed in it, and that's just a state of hypnosis. It's just that concentration, being able to switch off and just focus on one thing. So the reason it works so well is, when you're in that state, you can visualize a lot clearer. You can, if you know, you can hear things and you can conjure up all sorts of different things in your mind. When you're in hypnosis, that's the only difference because you're everything's really clear. So the way it works is we um. We work on the fact that your brain can't tell the difference between real and imaginary. So whatever you imagine, your brain thinks is happening. So when you start to, for instance, you come to me for anxiety and you feel anxious about going to the supermarket. 
I will get my clients to imagine going into the supermarket and feeling calm and relaxed and it begins to retrain your brain to react how you want to react rather than how you've been reacting before because your brain thinks what you're imagining is real and it starts to change. So that's pretty much it. It's just, there's no form of, often people think, I'm, I've had people before say, are you part of the occult or <laughs> oh God. am I doing all sorts of weird <laughs> spiritual things? Although I do have spiritual beliefs, but it's not, it's not spiritual. It's just science. We're just literally retraining your brain to react in the way that you want it to react. That's fantastic. And that's such a, such a great tool to be equipping people with, especially right now, isn't it? Because we're recording on the week after Freedom Day in, yeah. in speech marks because the restrictions have been lifted a little bit. It's been a really stressful year with COVID and everything. Are you seeing, are you seeing more and more people coming up with anxieties oh. about everything changing again yeah. now? I have never been as busy as I am right really? now. Normally, on a normal sort of week, pre-pandemic I'll have a variety mostly anxiety mostly the stuff but then I would get all sorts of things like you know people coming to me to change habits and whatever I'm pretty much 90% anxiety at the moment and actually a lot of that's children as well I have, I'm working with 12 children at the minute and on a normal week I'd be working with one or two it's just people are really struggling but it makes sense because anxiety is your brain's way of protecting you from danger so if you tell people that over a whole year that you can't go out because it's dangerous, you're going to get sick, you're going to die, you're going to go to hospital, you've got to wear a mask, you've got to protect yourself, the only safe place is your house. And then you go, oh, you're free now, on you go. And then people can't cope. Like yeah. people, your brain is like, hang on, <laughs> this <laughs> is danger. <clears throat> over a, of training your brain over a year to, to be wary of being outside or being around danger, it's just, there's no quick fix to that for most people. There's very few people that haven't had some pangs of anxiety myself included you know mm. I found myself when my husband's making arrangements to meet other people we don't know and I'm a bit like oh you know feel a bit uncomfortable yeah. with it because it's I haven't done it for a year and a half so it's just people are really struggling and if someone's listened to this having this just you're not on, you're not alone no, not at all everybody feels like it to a certain extent some people it's really severe and they can't leave the house other people just feel uncomfortable when they're out and about but you know for a lot of people it will pass and the more they get back to normal it will get easier but for some people they need help yeah it's knowing if it's at a point where it's affecting your life so negatively that you're really struggling that's when you need help yeah that's when you come to me absolutely (laughs) and that's that's so true what you said you don't even think about how like we've transitioned into this new normal like you say where everybody just stays at home and we don't go out and we don't socialize and we don't do anything and then all of a sudden that's changing again. Mm-hmm. And I suppose people are experiencing the same anxieties that they were pre-COVID when it was all kicking off and we were all having to, you know, hunker down and empty the supermarkets of loo roll and whatever else people were doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It's, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's a change, yeah. isn't it? We, we, we have a survival instinct. Yeah. It's all those poor people that were out into the supermarkets, I get it, because your brain is telling you to do whatever it takes to survive because you're in danger, you know. And it's, it's been hard because it's not just been one easing of lockdown, is it? We've gone through this process over and over again. And, yeah. and this time is even worse because at the same time we've been told for the last year that we, you know you can't go out until the cases are down. And now they're like, you can go out, but actually the cases are going mm. up. And it, people just can't cope with it. It's just You see it on social media, don't you? Yeah. People are arguing all over the place it's about crazy. the government and all the, because they're scared, they're frightened, and they don't know who to believe and what yes. to do. Like your, our brain is saying... Well, you've told me for a year if the cases are going up I should stay at home now the cases are going up I can go 
why, why, you know, and, yeah. and your brain just can't cope. And, and so a lot of people are really finding it really hard. And then they chuck into the factor that, yeah, go back to work now, the government is saying. Yeah. For a lot of people not feeling like they were never going to go back to work, they're going to work from home forever. And now they're being told, actually, you've got to go back to work. It's, yes. it's frightening. It's, it's hard. That's such a good point because... I think there's there's the combination, isn't it? There's the people that have been on furlough, so they've not worked at all, having to transition to going back to work. But most of them probably haven't really left the house. Mm-hmm. You've got the people that were working but working from home, so they got all comfy in their little work mm-hmm. setup. They're now transitioning back. You've got the people that have worked through it kind of constantly, but are now seeing those cases go up, like you said. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important that employers are aware of how scared people are, yeah. and that it's valid. It's although. As your employer, you're thinking, well, let's just get back to work and get making some money. You've got to be acknowledging that, haven't you, and helping people. To be honest, I think we need to go further. I think we need to be proactive because most people won't tell you when they're struggling because they don't want to lose their job. They think that if they tell you I'm having a hard time, they're going to lose their job. So if employers want the best out of their staff, they need to be being proactive, you know, doing things to help them. Maybe even, you know, talking about it amongst themselves, asking if anybody's struggling, just... Don't sit back and think everybody's okay because, you know, they're not talking to you. I guarantee every employer will have staff that are struggling really badly. Oh, God, yeah. So, you know, bring people in to help them or, you know, point them in the right direction. You know, do something to help yes. the staff and don't just expect them to get through it. Especially, you know, one of the things you can be looking for is if you've got staff that are not, they're not taking breaks, that's a good sign that they're stressed because they, you know, they, they can't cope. Their brains are so busy that they have to keep working because they can't keep on top of the work level, you know, things like that. If people are not going out at lunchtime, people are, people that are good staff that are suddenly not behaving in the way they used to, you know, ask them, do you need help, you know, make them feel, make them know that it's okay, you know, that you're not going to sack them for it, that you just want to support them. It's really important, especially if you want to keep your staff. Yeah, it is, and it doesn't have to be, like, you're not expecting you're not expecting employers to suddenly turn into hypnotherapists and fix everybody's problems. It is just sometimes, like you said, a case of pointing them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You could, you know, there's lots and lots of people who will go into companies and do like an awareness kind of day and offer free sessions. There's loads of things that you can do, isn't there? That there is. Don't, don't cost the earth. There is. And, and to be honest, a lot of employees just need to know that actually it's okay. You know, you're not going to lose your job. That alone is going to make a big difference because struggle to put on an act to be and they often it comes across that they're lazy or they're just disruptive or whatever but they're struggling if they know that it's okay that they're struggling and that your employer's not going to judge you for it or sack you for it then you'll find that that's half the battle that's mm. half the pressure gone just by doing that if you yeah. do nothing else you know make sure they know it's okay yeah you'll find that that'll be a lot better but yeah you're right there's so much help out there just point them in the right direction if your employer find See what's around that you can do. There's, there, as you say, there's lots of free help. It's not necessarily you've got to pay thousands of pounds, no. but you know, invest in your staff. That's what's important, isn't it? Their mental health and their, you know, their development within yeah. the role. It's really important. That's it. Just their, their overall well-being in general. If, if it's it's such a well-known thing that happy, healthy staff are more productive, but we seem to just kind of forget it when the going gets tough. Yeah. So how can we start to build a little bit more resilience into our employees because we need to acknowledge that they're struggling we need to help them through a difficult time then we also need to kind of build them back up so that the next time we have a challenge the world doesn't come crashing down mm-hmm. what can we do around that? Oh, well, the best thing is 
one of the best ways of building resilience is problem solving. And so if you give an employee a task to do that you know they're capable of doing, it's not going to stretch them too much. When they complete that task and they do really well, they're going to feel really great. And the more you give them tasks that you know they can do, the more they achieve, the better they feel. And that's one of the key areas of building resilience is, is, is being able to problem solve. But the other thing is, give them permission to make mistakes. You know, we're human beings, we all make mistakes. We live in this world that sees making mistakes as deserving of punishment. You know, if you look at the whole system, from when kids are at school, you know, my son's school have got like a naughty ladder or something, and, you know, their name goes on it when they make a mistake. I mean, these are kids that are just learning the way of the world, and they're going to make mistakes. If we frame it that it's okay to make mistakes, it's how we respond to the mistakes that's important, and, and actually build that into your workplace and you know I'm not saying encourage people to make mistakes you know you want to encourage them to get things done properly but not have a culture of humiliating or shouting or like really serious consequences to mistakes is going to make people more resilient knowing that it's okay so you know if someone makes a mistake help them fix it you know help them learn from it because that's what we do isn't it that's how we learn that's how we learn in every job really isn't it you, you mess it up and yeah. you go oops and then you learn the proper way of doing it so an environment where it's okay to do that and then people will make less mistakes and they will bounce back much quicker because they know that there's not the humiliation you know they're not going to feel or be made to feel like they're stupid or whatever if they make mistakes that that's another really key area and um, just praise as well you know if people feel good about what they're doing and feel good in themselves they don't they, they will just bounce back they will accept that their mistakes are mistakes so you know, spend a lot more time praising staff for a job well done and instead of punishing or, or humiliating when it goes wrong, teach, you know, rather than, than do that. If you have that balance correct in your workplace, then then staff will bounce back, they will feel better. And that doesn't just come from making mistakes, that, that spreads out into every aspect of your life. When you feel like you're good at something and you're doing well, even the little knocks, they don't bother you anymore. You just get on, you get through them quicker, and you know when you're not worried about making mistakes, because you know it's okay if you do. You're less likely to make them. So, so praise and you know encouragement and support really. Just you know take time out to say to your staff, do you know what I really appreciate you. You did a really good job, and that's how you that's how you build resilience in them. Yeah, and like all of that, none of it is difficult. No, none of it's it costs free. money. <laughs> it's all nice and free. It's all really easy things that you can start to implement today not something that takes loads and loads of time loads and loads of planning like you say just saying thank you to people more often and building their confidence when people feel appreciated they work better but it's not just about work but when people feel appreciated their mental health is boosted they feel more confident and their self esteem is greater and so they're less likely to be not you know everybody's going to be not from time to time everybody's going to have difficult days but they will bounce back quicker when they know and they have a belief that they're appreciated and that they're good at what they do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's literally that. <laughs> what you do it, it's that easy. There's, you know, as much as I do training and stuff, it, just if you do nothing else but that, you'll find a big difference. But we just like, we've just got to move away from a society that just wants to punish the staff. It's just not... If you, you know, I think back to some of the jobs I had. You know, the amount of times you're hauled into the office and shouted at because you make a mistake and it's... It's humiliating and it knocks your confidence and it does not make you want to continue working no. in the place. And you know, I, I had times where I'd be like really down for weeks on end because I'd been, you know, because I had been humiliated in front of my, mm. my colleagues. So 
just don't feel that. <laughs> I know, I've, I've, I've been through it as well. I remember one of my roles, I was pulled in for a disciplinary about something that I didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. And I was I was sat there and this my employer was like, you have cost the, the, the business, I think it was like £600 because of all these mistakes you've made. And I said, okay, nobody told me that that was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Sorry, but if my manager was actually checking my work like she should have been, mm. I probably wouldn't have made that mistake. People don't know. You know, I don't, it's not very often, in my experience in HR, it's not very often that people go out of their way to cock up on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone does. Really. You might get the odd one well, that does, yeah. does something maliciously, but you normally see that coming. Mm-hmm. People don't go out of their way to cost you money in your business or to give you a hard time. Like you say, they've all got their own internal things going on that then contribute to how they behave, and it's not actually their behaviour that stresses you out as an employer, is it? It's how you're interpreting that whole situation. And also recognising that almost every employee you have is frightened of losing their job. This is the key thing. So if you can absolutely ensure your staff that no matter how much they make a mistake, how much they they mess up, obviously there's circumstances (laughs) where you you can't support them. As long as if you reassure your staff that they're not going to lose their job, that's going to make the biggest difference. You're not going to see these mistakes because they're not frightened. Or at the very least, if they make a massive mistake, they're going to come and tell you and you can fix it because they're not worried about losing their job. Yes. And that's the difference. You know, if, you, if you're terrified to lose your job and you know if you admit to a mistake, you're going to get into a lot of trouble, you're going to do everything you can to not tell that. <laughs> you know, I am fully admitting that I've done that in many jobs, only because I'm self-employed and don't have an employer now. But I've done that many times in a job, yeah. like just try to quickly fix it somehow and sort of hide it. So well, the like even when like you're like a kid and you break something in the house and you're like, shit, my mum's gonna see that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I'm in trouble. And you, think, ah! and you try and hide it before she comes home. It's that exact same scenario. But isn't imagine it? if you didn't have to worry yeah. about what would happen. The freedom that gives you. And also, it gives you space to develop, it, to mm. take risks, to try new things. Yeah. You know, if you're not worried, you're going to lose your job at the end of it. You yeah. know? As long as your intention is right and you want to do a good job, then why should you have this constant threat of disciplinary and... Sorry, I know there's a lot of nature of people, but it's, um, but it's, it's true. It's true. And um, this, is, this is what I try and get across to a lot of my clients, is that, yeah, I can absolutely help you if your staff need disciplining, but actually, let's try and create a culture where they don't need it, where mm-hmm. you don't need to use that process very often. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be a regular thing that, like you say, when someone makes a mistake or something minor happens, that the first knee-jerk reaction is to go straight into a disciplinary. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be that way. Just think, people, as you say, people make mistakes. Yeah. Just accept it and help them correct it and move on, you know, because there isn't anybody out there that hasn't made mm-hmm. major mistakes. I can Huge mistakes. I've made in jobs over the years. Yeah, it's all just... human. Nobody's perfect, are they? No, they're not. So thinking about the employees then, if you've got somebody going into work feeling super anxious, you know, really feeling on edge about being back in the office and I don't know, perhaps they're sort of starting to feel like they're maybe have, gonna have a panic attack or really, really super, super anxious about having to do this. Have you got any sort of tips or techniques on how they can kind of overcome that in the moment? Mm-hmm. Um, so from the employers helping the staff or from the employees? From the employees, like a, probably from like a self-help kind of perspective, if they're thinking, oh, I don't want to tell my boss that I'm having a panic attack about 
coming into work, for example. Well, the, well, the first thing I would say is you can't do that. You have to tell them. It's really important because if you try to hide a panic attack, it's going to get worse. You're going to make it worse. And actually, talking about it makes it feel a lot better. But, you know, not avoiding work is a big thing. And I know this is going to sound really crazy, but what people tend to do when they're anxious is run away. And they want to hide and they want to avoid the situation that makes them feel anxious. But actually, avoiding strengthens anxiety. So I know and I get it, I've had anxiety. And the last thing you want to do when you're feeling really anxious is not go to work. But consistently pushing yourself into doing it is really key. And what you need to do is make, find ways to make it easier for you to be in work when you feel like that. So mm-hmm. there's lots of things you can do. So breathing exercises are really good. I'm not a big believer in breathing exercises for panic there's a whole big debate about this in the, um, generally in the, the science world, but breathing exercises when you're feeling just quite anxious and you're struggling are really good because what it does is it stimulates your vagus nerve, which is a nerve that runs from your brain to your gut, and this will help you to feel relaxed. So you can make it as difficult or as easy as you want to be. You hear all these massive techniques where you've got to count and do whatever. I don't, you know, I don't believe in all that because when you're really anxious, the last thing you want to do is think, try to think logically about what you need to do. So just simply by breathing in and pushing your tummy out and making your out breath longer than your in breath and just doing that for maybe a few minutes is going to really help it's going to make a difference and one of the things I tell my clients is you can start adding in visualizations of breathing in a lovely calm color and then breathing out a tension color and it's one of the simplest things that you can do but also it can be quite subtle so if you don't want people around you to know you're feeling really anxious that's another thing you can do I have another technique but it's not really easy to show <laughs> you can't see what I'm doing but I'll try and describe it okay. really easily um, it's called bilateral stimulation and basically what you do is you hold a pen in front of your two hands I'm actually doing this but just so that it's easier for me to describe um, and then you're passing it from hand to hand so you pass it out to the side back to begin and swap hands pass it out again does that make yeah. sense so you're passing it in a, mo- a swinging motion out from side to side and it's really simple you can almost get away with it looking like you're being quite fidgety rather mm-hmm. than uh, you've seen people in offices do that all the time, don't you? Passing pens and throwing it around. But what that happens is, when you do that, when you're anxious, it's the left side of your brain that's got loads of anti- uh, activity going on. Sorry. So when you're passing that pen from hand to hand, you're, you're, you're crossing over the midline and you're using both parts of your brain to do it. And it's like a, almost like a seesaw motion. It's lighting up each side of your brain. And it just balances out that frantic activity that's going on in the left side. But also, it's a, pan, a pattern erupt. erupt. Interrupt, <laughs> erupt a whole different um, a pattern interrupt. So basically, you're in your brain. You've got two neurons firing at the same time, the trigger and the reaction. And so by doing um, an activity like this, it's like interrupting that pattern and forcing your brain to make new connections. So it's something that's so simple but really, really effective. And you can kind of get away with that at work. Some of the other ones are not so easy to tell you because you have to be able to see. But <laughs> <laughs> those two work really, really yeah. well. So. Yeah, that's they're really really awesome tips. I really like that, and I, I've, I've definitely I've definitely heard of the um the bilateral stimulation one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and because it, it does even just like even if you just do it, I, like, I'm trying to do it now and talk, and it's becoming quite difficult. It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. It's and when I'm teaching it to clients, yeah, when I'm teaching it to clients, I have to get them doing it, and then I have to talk because I can't show it and do it at the same time because it's really because you're, there's too much activity going yeah. on in your brain. And so that's the other part of it. There's that much activity going, that other thought can't continue yeah. because you're flooding your brain with activity. You just yeah, can't that's do it. it. So, and I, I completely agree with your first point, actually, on telling your employer. 
Your employer can't help you if they don't know what's going on. So if you turn up and you're just a bit erratic and you kind of run off into the toilets and hide for half an hour, they're going to get thinking, what on earth's wrong with you? Whereas if they're fully aware and if you just go in and go, if you, even if you just have like a trigger word, or a, not a safe word because that sounds weird in the office <laughs> environment, doesn't it? But a trigger word or something where you just say to your boss, this is happening, I'm just going to have five minutes in a break room or somewhere like that and do your exercises and come back and zone back in. Absolutely. It's really important, but not only that, it takes the pressure off you. Yes. When you're feeling anxious and everyone's on top of you, if you try to add in suppressing that and hiding it, it just makes the anxiety so much worse. Just be able to, to speak about it. Or even like having someone at work you can go to and say, I'm having a bad day. It's sometimes just enough to yes. to calm you down as well. Just I think one of the key things I always tell people is that anxiety is strengthened by secrecy. And so the more secretive you are about it the worse it becomes yeah. so just having someone to talk to is it's almost like, you know that whole thing getting a load off your chest mm. and it's what it's like you know it's really important to always be honest yeah. but then it's also equally important for the employer to be understanding and you know not you know i had some terrible i'm happy to admit you know i had anxiety and depression and i remember telling my boss once in a job i worked in that i was really depressed and i was really struggling and she said to me well you can have two weeks off but when you come back, I expect you to be back to normal because this is not a job where there's any space for depression or any mental health issues. How oh, right. <laughs> I know. And so I went off and had the two weeks. And so unsurprisingly, I wasn't cured after <laughs> two weeks. And uh, my full job was like, I can't do this. I just can't come back to work. And I'm not, you know, I'm not very well. And she, um, yeah, I lost my job. <laughs> I think wow. I didn't want to do it. So... This is also on employers, you know, it's really important to create that space where they can, they feel like they can talk to you. Yeah, yeah completely. And it, again, you don't have to be an expert in this sort of thing. All you need to do is listen to people. Yeah. You don't have to offer necessarily solutions. Mm-hmm. As an employer, if somebody comes into you, like when I, when I worked in corporate HR, I used to have a sofa in my office and it was my therapy couch. People would come <laughs> in and they would just talk and I would get all of their problems and they talk and talk and talk and nine times out of ten they just felt better just having talked yeah. about it yeah. some of them would sit there and go what can I do and my response was always well look I'm not a professional I don't know what is the best thing for you but if you want me to help you find some support that's exactly what I can do if you want to come back later tomorrow next week if you want to have a cup of tea not a problem mm. that's all you need to do yeah and it's perfectly okay for an employer to say I don't know how to help you because yeah. it's honest and real you know it's perfectly fine to say that most employers are not experts in mental health, but don't you know look for that help. Work together to find mm-hmm. that help. What that solution is for that person, you know, because overall you know it's going to help all your staff. Yes, and it's going to help your business. Well, and it's yeah. going to help you, isn't it? Because as an employer, you feel personally responsible for all these people that work for you. Yeah. So it takes the pressure off for you to just be able to say, "Look, I don't know, but let's find the solution together." Yeah. yeah. And. How freeing is that? You yeah. you're not expected to, to know the answers. No, no, you're not at all. And you know, most employers would never wouldn't know how to do this, stuff. and that's okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I wouldn't know if it weren't for the fact that it's been part of part of my role in HR. I wouldn't have a clue how to how to manage these situations at all. Yeah. And nobody teaches you it either. When you start a business, no one goes right. Here's your course on how to manage people and how to manage people when they're having a meltdown and. Nobody tells you that. No, there's there's so much to learn running a business, isn't there? But it's just being you know known where to signpost people to. That's the key. that's really important. 
And if you don't, I'll find out. Yes. You know, don't have the answers, but look for help. Yeah, completely. And speak to you. <laughs> yeah, speak to me. And I probably don't know the answer either, but I'll Google it for you. That's fine. <laughs> that's all everybody does anyway. But I go to the doctors sometimes and think I've caught them Googling symptoms. Yeah. <laughs> you think, oh well. That's what you can't do. know everything, can yeah. you? And if it isn't your sort of speciality, if it isn't your zone of genius, as all the coaches are saying online at the minute, <laughs> um, why would you know it? And it's, I think we need to make it, again, normal to not know things. To be fair though, I you know I have clients come to me sometimes with things and I'm a bit like, oh gosh, I've never heard this before. Yeah. But I will go away and look it up and, and yeah, of course. speak to people and try to figure out what's going on. But you know, we're not even if you do know it, we, we can't keep all that information in our heads. So oh god. No. Just knowing where to look for the answers is really important. Yeah, totally. So do do you think that um there's a link between levels of anxiety and levels of self esteem? Yes. It's the single biggest cause of anxiety is, oh, wow. is self-esteem. It's I have never ever had an anxiety client who has had perfect self-esteem. It's never happened. Not once. Not ever. You know, it's it's definitely there. And what happens is, obviously, everybody's different and everybody's unique. But there's a general pattern is a knock to the self-esteem, and then cope, we try and find coping strategies so we all, you know, eat rubbish or drink wine or take drugs or whatever. You know the coping strategies are and then it leads to anxiety and it's always the pattern so you know just working on your self-esteem is generally you know, going to yeah. help you avoid anxiety but help you to improve it one of the things i used to notice quite a lot when i first was doing my training when i was doing my training we had to do case studies yeah and we had to do sort of eight different case studies and they all had to be different topics but everybody that was willing to work with me had anxiety and i was a bit like oh but they were all women and the thing i noticed all the way through and the one thing they would say to me every time was I don't feel like I'm good enough I've always felt like I'm not good enough and and everyone said that and it started me thinking you know does everybody feel like this yeah. is this just a general problem and I did my dissertation on it in the end because it's so and it's look you guys can see it but on my wall I have I am enough written in my wall because it's it's the biggest issue and it's rare that I have someone that says that they feel good enough yeah. and generally that comes from all sorts of different ways so been in a job you know where you're you're made to feel like you're not good enough being grown up you know with a parent that's really critical or you know this is how we get to this point so absolutely if you want to avoid anxiety work on your self-esteem it makes a big difference and what sorts of steps can people take if they're in that place where they think okay i feel like that i feel pretty shit about myself quite a lot of the time i feel quite anxious what where where do you start the best starting point is knowing yourself this is the thing that people with low self-esteem, they don't know who they are. They don't, they can't, you know, I, for years I used to work as an employability trainer. And I'd say to my clients, and I was picking them in front of you, and I'd say to them, right, what are your strengths? And I'd get a blank look back, I don't know. I don't know what I'm good at. Ask them, what are your weaknesses? And you'd have a whole, whole long line. But people just don't know who they are. Even down to, like, what's your favourite pizza? Sometimes people will look at me blankly. Like, I don't know. You just... People with low self-esteem just don't know who they are. And what they tend to do is they tend to just go along with the people alongside them. Mm -hmm. So if you've got lots of friends who are into certain things, then you kind of adopt that persona and you become that person. But you lose track of who you are. And the problem is when you're not being truly authentic to who you are, you can't match up to that. You yeah. can't keep it going and it makes you feel even worse. So I always say to my clients, find out who you are. Sometimes I get them to do those, you know those ridiculous quizzes you see online? What are your favourite pizza toppings yeah. what are your favorite just doing things like that and like 
trying to answer it honestly as to who you are and then building up to the important things whether you want it or not. So knowing who you are is probably the biggest. But learning to live your life authentically is also. There's nothing better than people loving you for who you truly are rather than who you're pretending to be. Yes. And there's no bigger self-esteem boost. So figure out who you are and what you want out of life and live that way. It's funny, I always say this to my clients, especially a lot of them, they say, oh, I haven't got friends, I haven't got a support network, I haven't met the love of my life and I don't know how to. And often it's because they're not who they are. You know, people don't get a sense of who they are when they speak to them. You know, because they might be quiet or they might be putting on this persona. And we all know, don't we, when people are being fake and not being real. And not that that person means to be, it's not purposely done, but we know. We're attracted to people that are real and relatable. Um, and you can't really do that until you know who you are, can you? So this is the area I always say to my clients, find out who you are. What, what are your morals? What are your values? And what do you like doing? What was your perfect day? Actually answering those sort of questions is the best, is the best place to start. Yeah, I love that. And I think it happens to people without, without them knowing, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Because yeah. I, I definitely... I think it was 2016 I went on a trip to America I've definitely told you about this before I went I went coast to coast from New York to um LA and I went on my own and I hopped on a bus with like 14 other people that I'd never met before and we went on a trip and it was great and I wouldn't say I had any self-esteem kind of issues but I was in a bit of a toxic relationship it was all kind of a bit no, no, nothing was really going the way I wanted it to go and I had a moment it sounds so cheesy honestly but I had a moment, we were in Monument Valley in Arizona, the bit where Forrest Gump stops running. Yeah. And um, we were sat around this campfire in the desert, eating steaks, and I was just sat there, and I just felt so completely in alignment. I thought, this right here is who I want to be and where I want to be. Not that I wanted to be like a Navajo sat around a fire pit, <laughs> like eating steak, but something just clicked. And I came home with a completely do. Came home with a completely new outlook on everything, and I wouldn't necessarily again say that I had a self-esteem issue. wasn't feeling anxious. Everything was, you know, kind of fine, mm-hmm. apart from a dodgy boyfriend. Um, but it's just amazing, just having that time on my own, yeah. doing something that's completely out of my comfort zone. I thought, yep, I know exactly who I am now. I think also being in different circumstances mm. around different people in a different place allows you the freedom to escape this persona that you've built yes. up of yourself. It allows you to start again and be truthful to who you are. And that's that's a really great yeah. idea. And, and I definitely recommend people doing that. But it's it's really, yeah, just stripping it all back. Yes. Just seeing who's underneath. Toxic relationships, that's probably one of the number one reasons for, for low self-esteem. Because when you're constantly belittled and told you're not good enough, mm-hmm. and, you know, you start to conform to who that person wants you to be. Yeah. And you lose sight of who you are. Becoming a mum is another one. We, we, we begin to live for our children and you become your child's mum that's how people know you you know people know me as Reese's mum <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, I, I don't have a name anymore you know, <laughs> you know it's part of your identity and yeah. you forget who you are you know you put your child first you're in a, rela- a toxic relationship you put your partner first and you lose sight of yourself so you know just taking some time out and, yeah. and just sitting with your own thoughts your feelings exactly what you did you yeah. know just discovering who you are what do you like you know I'd say all my clients go home and find out what your favourite pizza is. Yeah. I want you to try pizzas. Obviously not if you're on a diet, but <laughs> try pizzas. That's just one thing. Tell me what your favourite is. Yeah. You know? And just building it up like that. Just doing little things like that. What movie do you want to watch? Not what your partner wants or your children. 
which always happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> what movie do you want to watch? Yeah. What do you want to do in a day out? Where do you want to go? That's the key. Just start doing little bits. Not yeah. Nobody's going to know overnight who we are. Yeah. Uh, apart from you. <laughs> but that's extreme circumstances. Took a flight to America. <laughs> but that was extreme circumstances. But, you know, build it up. Just learn little things, you know. And, and then begin to work at what you're good at. Yeah. Because there's nothing better for your self-esteem than doing something that you're good at. And also being recognised for doing yes. something good as well. That's that's key. We need we need that. People often say to me, oh, my partner thinks I'm needy because I need love from him. But it's a human basic need. We need to feel loved, accepted and praised. So, you know, if you if you know someone that's got low self-esteem, praise them. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you know, don't make it up. Because yeah. we know when people are going, you know. People sometimes say to me, oh, you look fab today. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't lie. I, I'm comfortable in my own skin. But I have, you know, I know I don't look fab today. But tell me, your hair looks nice today. But, you know, because my hair does look nice. Not today. But you get the understanding. Yeah, Be yeah. honest and truthful with the praise. Don't don't fake it. Yeah. Um, and it helps. It makes a big difference. And also, when you're, think about how you're speaking to yourself. Because we are mean to ourselves. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> I used to. You know, I'd tell my clients, be kind to yourself. And I'd drop a plate in the kitchen and I'd be like, oh, you're so stupid. <laughs> you yeah. know? And that is really, really devastating to your self-esteem. The more negative you are to yourself, the more your brain takes that as a sign of danger as well and makes you feel anxious. So speak to yourself like you speak to your best friend. You mm. know, what, what would you say to your best friend in this situation? That is my favourite question. Yes. You know, whenever I'm being negative, I say, what would I say to my best friend in this situation? Just talking to yourself with respect, that's, that's a good strategy. Yeah, I completely agree with that because I think that is probably, and especially as women, I think that is the first thing that we do is we criticise ourselves and then we wonder why everybody else does it as well. And we need to start standing up for ourselves first and foremost, don't we? Accepting compliments as well. I just said the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Accepting genuine compliments. But we do, though. How many times does someone say to you, oh, your dress is nice, and we go, oh, it's only cheap from Primark. Yeah, I like, why do we do that? No, why do I, we I just always, go thank you. Yeah, I always make a point now to just say thank you. Yeah, even if I don't feel it, even if I don't believe it, I just say thank yeah. you. and that's my absolute golden rule for myself. And now I just say thank you. It's <laughs> so weird, isn't it? Because they never, unless the compliment is followed up by where did you get it from? <laughs> why do we feel the need to explain? I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. It's awful, isn't it? It's really weird, <laughs> and we downplay it so much as well. We're not like, oh, it was only cheap. We're not like, oh. I got a bargain. It was a really great find. We're, yeah. we're like, oh, it was like two quid. From like, yeah, yeah. Oh. I think it comes from a fear of being boastful. Um, I think we're kind of brought up to to not be so out there with ourselves, not be so confident in ourselves because it's boastful, which is really horrible, really. You know, I have a friend who's really, really successful. She's stunningly beautiful. She's really successful. She's got everything everybody wants in life. And she says to me all the time, I'm not allowed to talk about it. She's like she can't talk to her friends about where she's been on holiday or what she's doing in her life or because they think, Oh, you're just you know, you're just out for yourself. And so she often doesn't talk about her life. She talks to other people about their life because she's so frightened of being seen as boastful. And I think I say to her all the time, I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna live vicariously for you tell me all the wonderful <laughs> the wonderful things happening in your life. It's just it's awful, isn't it, that people yeah. feel like that. So even when you're like seen as perfect, which you know, if I look she's not perfect, but you know, the world would see her yeah. so you still can't you still don't have full self-esteem you're still that's not allowed so, to that's so interesting actually it's a really good point because my business coach taught us um on the course that we did with her earlier in the year that you need to choose pick and choose the people that you share your successes with 
carefully and they might not be the people that you think they would be. It might not be your partner, it might not be your mum and dad, it might not be members of your family, because they might not get it. Yeah. And it's not that you're bragging, and it's not that they're bad because they don't get it, it's just if they're not on the same wavelength as you, it's a bit out of alignment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And actually, if, you, if you've got people around you, like you know, you with your friend, that's amazing that she's got you that she can talk to about it. Having the right people around you that you can talk to about these things. It's really important. So important. I, I see this a lot with my clients. Is the people who are around us have a big influence on who we are as well. Because I don't know about you, but you know the the energy suckers, the vampires. Oh god! Yeah. The people you're around, it moan and moan and moan, and you leave Fun them and you're like, <laughs> and you leave them and you're like, oh, just feeling drained and down. You know, I have this one friend who is the happiest person. She has all, all her own issues. She's you know she's not perfect, but she's always like cracking a joke or laughing or, or doing something outrageous that makes me laugh and you know you walk away and you think oh I feel good yes. <laughs> you know? so you're right, the people who are around are really important for your mental health so if you're sitting there with friends that just make you feel crap every time you see them, then ditch them yeah, <laughs> you know, literally right them. <laughs> or at least limit your contact with them or only only spend time with them when you are in a really good headspace oh, I'm and strong you. I just ditch them I mean <laughs> I do too. <laughs> There's I, no one in my circle. It's, it's, you know, I'd rather have little friends with quality friends than, than people that make me feel bad. And yeah. I've had to learn that. That doesn't come, does it? You know, when you're when you're a teenager, you think it's all about how many friends you've got. It's yeah. important, isn't it? But to get older, you realise it's it's about quality. It's about the people that you don't have to reflect your values. Because I'm not a big believer in only having friends that think the same way. Yeah. Because you need friends that you can learn from and challenge you. But well, have maybe the same morals as you, yes. the same kind of outlook, you know, that, that don't want to be negative all the time and dragging you down, you know, that, that are happy for you when you do well, you know, that they want to support you and, and, you know, it doesn't matter if your beliefs are different, but if they support you and that's it. really genuinely care for you, then that's, that's the people to be around. Yeah, know? 100%. I, yeah, I, just, I, d- I don't know what else I can say on that topic because I, <laughs> I just agree with it wholeheartedly. Just, we always agree. Yeah, we do. <laughs> it's funny that. <laughs> yeah, if you, if it if it's not working, bin it off. It's just not worth doing. No, nope, it's not worth it. Oh, well, Nikki, I think that's been absolutely amazing. We've covered like so much, so many nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> we always do this when we talk. Yeah, we do. We put <laughs> the world to rights on everything. <laughs> Is there anything going on in your business at the moment that you want to shout about or promote? Um. To be honest, I'm <laughs> so busy. Everyone keeps asking me, you know, what, what's your goals, where are you heading, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm just currently getting through the day because <laughs> I'm so busy. But I do have a topic that's really important. Yes. So do you want to cut this out if it's not right? No, go for it. Okay, let's put my hands in. Is that okay? Yeah, go for okay. it. All right, so, so pretty much I've noticed over the last sort of six months to a year that there's been no support for transgender children mm-hmm. in this country. There literally is none. So basically, if you have a child who has tra- you know who's transgender you will have to wait three years of NHS to see anybody that will offer your child any support wow. three years you know, there's no other part of the NHS where that would be acceptable but for transgender children it's three years so I've I'm currently just about to finish a CPD course of oh. working with transgender children although strangely when I started doing it I realized that actually it's the same issues as I deal with with everyone else it's just understanding the language to use that's around it but um so from september i'm going to be working with a lot of transgender children oh, and their fans to teach 
somehow to have sort of a lot of transgender children with anxiety, self-esteem issues, so it sort of fits in with what I do anyway, but yes, that's right. So if you know anybody that's struggling with this, because there is no road to turn, there is no support, you know, the best you can do is pay for a private consultation, which can cost upwards of £200, and to a lot of families that's not, that's not doable. So you wait a few years and you watch your child deteriorating, and it's not fair. So that's what I'm going to be doing. So you know anybody that's transgender or has a transgender child, then send them my way. Amazing. That's such important work. That's incredible. And where can our lovely listeners find you if they need that support? Um, best place is probably look at my website, which is Um, And you can book a telephone consultation with me on there. It's a good place to start. There's no obligation to book, but it gives you a chance to be able to have half an hour just chatting with me about what the problem is and I'll be completely honest if I can't help I will say because there will be cases of children that um transgender children that I can't help and I will be honest and say it's not right for me but I will help you know I have yeah. a lot of knowledge of charities and areas of support but I also have a lot, a lot of knowledge in the laws and you know what you can and can't do and changing names and all this sort of stuff as well so you know there's stuff I can help with even if it's not necessarily the help that you that you come to amazing and i will put all your social media links and the link to your website on the show notes so people can find you and get some support because it's a difficult time for everybody and yeah especially families going through children who are transitioning so yeah i think that's really awesome thank you so much Mm -hmm. for coming on thank you for inviting me i loved it (laughs) i can chat to you all day i know (laughs) same so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode if you love what you're hearing then please do leave us a review and share that you're listening on social media i am currently running a free facebook challenge which begins on the 18th of august so if you would like to join the fun and learn how to be a more confident manager then click the link in the show notes and come and join us on facebook i'd love to see you there